What's up, Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. It is Candace and David. We are here. We're going to cover the last two games Sunday night. The Memphis Grizzlies beat the Washington Wizards, and I'm on the wrong box score. Final score is 103 to 97. And then tonight, the extremely shorthanded, we find out uh, Stephen Adams was a game time decision. Found out before the tip that he was not going to go tonight. And the Grizzlies still played well against, uh, you know, the Finney Eastern Conference champion, Boston Celtics. Final score was 109 to 106. And I'm not even going to go there. I'm Candace, I'm going to throw it to you. I didn't have anybody with me last time. So I'm just going to bounce it to you instead of going on a rant early in the show. Well, which game do you want to start with? And and welcome back, by the way. You, you've you been out for a little bit. I know life has been coming at you, so glad to have you back. Yep. Now, it, it's, it's – I think there's a lot of positive. Uh, I, I really do. I think there's more positive than bad to take away from not only the Wizards game, and I wasn't here to talk about the Hornets game, but I've seen some positive trends. I think defensively was one of – was a – beginning to really just bite them in, in the tail. Like they, the defense was horrible. They worked on that and they were able to hold the wizards to not. I just lost the box score. Yeah. They were able to hold the wizards to uh, under a hundred points. I'm saying all right. Yeah. Under a hundred points, 97 points. And they were able to uh, really keep, keep the number one offense in Boston to, I mean, 109, you say, I mean, maybe that maybe that's not great, but this Boston team is the number one offensive team in the league. Uh, they shoot the absolute lights out from, from three and you were able to hold them to 32% from three, which is, which is particularly encouraging for me because one of the things that I, that I've been frustrated with, not just this early in the year but also last season was the the ability to defend the three-point line that's always been something they struggle with and for them to be able to do that you know in the third night on the fourth uh, in the third the third game in, a, in the fourth night yeah um they were I love the energy I love defensive effort and even though they weren't able to win this game there's still a lot of a lot of positive takeaways I think um offensively you're able to see John Morant get a little bit more of a rhythm I I was pleased with his ability to take more of what the defense was giving him whereas I feel like he was forcing shots and trying to force his way down to the lane and just getting unnecessary turnovers not being able to you know he he really pushed Pat put he pushed so deep in the paint he would even clear out all of his passing lanes so uh there there's a lot of good takeaways um overall and it was a tough loss, you know, close game, but the Grizzlies, especially being down all of their big men, essentially for them to be, you know, to be in the game this way against the Boston Celtics team that has such length. I feel like this was the, their best matchup. And just, I'll just say this before I throw it back to you, but Boston, I I, I, I sort of probably outflow between the games. It's hard to talk about just one because the Celtics is so, you know, recent, but for the Celtics game in particular, some people have said that it's just like Dallas where it's just a tough matchup. I saw something like that, people talking about that. And it is a tough matchup, but I think that the Grizzlies have done a one of the points of emphasis in the offseason was shooting. And we've been concerned about, you know, if that's if that's really going to manifest itself, especially early in the year, the half court uh, offense with that manifest itself. I think the Grizzlies showed enough growth in this game that 
I feel like this is a better matchup. I feel like this this Grizzlies team can compete with the Celtics this year, whereas in years past, it didn't even feel like they were on the same plane. Like, it just felt like the the, the Celtics' length was just too much, and I just didn't get that sense. And sure, home court advantage will play some part of a role of that, but um, that that's another encouraging sign for me personally, even though this was a loss. Yeah, I think the uh, the acquisitions that they made via the draft is really what makes kind of yeah you get growth from the other guys you get growth from Jai you get growth from Bain but outside of Dylan Brooks you didn't have anybody else on the wing that can match up with this team and Jake Laravia done a hell of a job tonight like he he was not a lockdown defender by any stretch of the imagination, but for the guys that he was having to match up with, he done a good job. There were a couple plays where he was maybe taking too much of a risk and he got exposed. You do that against a good player, against a great player, whenever you're talking about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you, you do that against great players, you're going to get exposed, but he was able to hold his own. And that was important because of Dylan's foul trouble and we'll get into that a little bit later, but I think that the length that they have is something that's going to allow them to match up better. Mm-hmm. And the you're missing two guys that could help with that in Jaron, who is obviously going to be a massive part of your defense, but you're missing Zaire as well, who would have been able to match up. You know, that gives you somebody else to go out there and throw at Tatum and Brown whenever it comes to matching up against these guys. So, now, instead of just having one guy to try and figure out how to slow both of these guys down, you have three or four guys that you can give them different looks and make it tougher on them. And yet, you know, Tatum put up almost 40 tonight, but it's 25 shots. Jalen Brown was eight for 20. He put up 21, but 45 shots to get 60 points. I'll take that seven days a week. Yeah. Yeah. And I also say too about Zaire, I think one thing that is that has been missing is some of the lob threats. You know, Josh mm-hmm. is so fast and so quick. I don't think anybody's been able to run the floor with him. Like when he's had these fast break opportunities, it's pretty much just him. And I, I can I've oftentimes just pictured Zaire normally is down there with him, able to catch some of those transition lobs. And lobs are still a, a good thing and the transition offense is still thriving. It's not by any means a weakness to their game, but it's just another opportunity. There were several uh, several transition points that I saw that Boston got mostly because of lack of rim protection. But I just think the Grizzlies would have been able to better counter that. Those are even opportunities I think missed. Like you said, just the just the value of what Z- even just having Zaire back would have been able to bring to this matchup. Yeah, you got to see some youth kind of exposed in this game, right? Aldama struggled. He only played 18 minutes tonight. It wasn't foul trouble. He was just outmanned in this game. There, there was not really a good matchup for him. I think defensively the best matchup for him would have been Al Horford. But, you know, I think at one point, I know at one point they had him guarding Marcus Smart. Uh, it's just Aldama has played well, and I, Aldama is going to be a uh, a key piece for this team whenever he goes into that bench role. But I, I think that when you see him matched up against other playoff caliber teams, you kind of see – 
okay, he does a good job. He can be a rotation player on this team, but I don't know that he is a starting player on a playoff or a championship team. And and maybe he is, maybe it's just time for development. Do you, do you agree with that or no? Yeah, I think he's better rotational wise right now. I think his, his ceiling will depend on how much he's able to improve physically, you know, in terms of his strength, uh, being able to absorb contact a little bit more, being able to be more aggressive. I think just sometimes, even though you can tell he, he's improved slightly, it's only been a one year. It's only, you can only do so much in one off season. So I think his ceiling will be determined by that and his ability to get more consistent with a three point shot. Um, but again, that's not a real criticism on him. Like you said, he's a really young player. So you're going to see that sort of ebb and flow, but he he could maybe one day be, but for right now, for what this really team needs, I think he's better fit like as a rotational player. So I've got to, and I'm shifting. If you've got something else about Santi, I can let you go ahead with that, but I, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to shift to an issue that I have with what they're doing with Brandon Clark. How many times threes again, man? <laughs> how many times we he he's not a shooter. I realize what the game is going to I know that you want guys, most team want five guys on the floor that can shoot the three, but Brandon Clark cannot at all. He Desmond Bain made a phenomenal play. And I see a guy wide open in the corner. I'm like, oh, ye no, like immediately, because as soon as I realized the guy that was wide open in the corner was Brandon Clark, <laughs> I, I knew I knew the play was over. I knew it was over. I'm like, there's no shot he's making this. And and I love Brandon. I love what he is able to do. But let Brandon excel at what he does. Stop trying to park him in the corner. Get him in there. And there was no reason for him to be out there. Steven Adams was not even on the floor for him to be away from down there. And they had him in the corner. If that was literally anybody else that was on the floor at that time, anybody else, that is a ESPN, like Sports Center top 10 play. Desmond Bain getting that pass off and hitting the man wide open in the corner. Instead, it should be on Shaq and a fool because <laughs> it's a phenomenal play just donked away by a god-awful attempt at a three-pointer from the corner. And listen, I, I know that these guys, the coaching staff, I, I know that they know basketball more than I do. I'm aware of that, but I, I just feel like sometimes they beat their head against the wall with this stuff. Brandon Clark, if he never attempts another three-pointer for the rest of his career, I would be the happiest man on the planet. <laughs> I, I I do understand. I can't remember the lineup that I was in at that moment, but I know exactly the moment you're talking about because I felt the exact same way. I'm like, oh, man, and then, yeah, you see BC, you're like, Man, that would have been nice. Like as soon as you see the guy is BC uh, before he gets the shout out. So I, I'm 100% with you on that. But I can't remember. Maybe it's because Aldama wasn't in that wasn't in the lineup, and they sort of want him to play the Aldama role. I agree. It's it's not his role. But 
that's the only thing I can think of is they they still wanted some kind of stretch big and BC was the only thing they had because Adama only played 18 minutes because of how poorly he played in this game. They essentially played, they gave his minutes to Jake LaRavia, uh, who was able to play 24 minutes. And so, of course, LaRavia, you'd rather have him be the guy. But I don't disagree with you. I'm just trying to find some kind of logic. And, and I, I just can't remember what that lineup is. But I agree. Uh, he attempted two three-pointers, and that was too, too many for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I just – there's certain things that you don't have to keep trying over and over and over again to know that they're not going to work. And Brandon Clark becoming an efficient three-point shooter is one of those things. Now, he, he has been playing better of late. You bounce back to the uh, the Wizards game, and he played well. You know, like vintage Brandon Clark, seven freight from the floor, five rebounds and assists. He had a couple block shots. You know, like, uh, that's tight. It was plus 12. But, you know, like, he, he had a good game in yeah. the Wizards game. And he didn't have a bad game against the Celtics at all. You know, I what, he had 10 points and eight rebounds tonight. So, you know, he he done what you wanted him to do. This team done a really good job. I was surprised that they were able to maintain rebounding. I, I thought that they would just get waxed on the glass tonight with Steven Adams being out, and they were able to do it, and it was it was team rebounding. You go down the list, Dylan had seven. Uh, you had eight from Brandon Clark, five from Bain, nine from Ja. And then a couple guys coming off of the bench. You got Tillman had two and and Stones had three. But that's what you have to do. Like when, when you're going in and, and you're already down a man, now you're down your best rebounder. You've got to use team rebounding. Jake LaRavia, that's something that uh, we have seen Taylor Jenkins and the coaching staff say they want him to focus on. And so he spent time focusing on rebounding. He only pulled down three tonight. But he did play well. I mentioned it earlier. He played well defensively, mm-hmm. and it, just being disruptive—that you know, quick hands, staying in front of your guy, making it tough on him—he done a really good job of that. There were some rookie mistakes in there, but we can live through the growing pains. We we've witnessed what they're doing right now pay dividends later on in the season. Last season with Zaire, so I'm 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 fine with it. Actually. While we're talking about the rookies, I want to throw this to you because I've seen kind of a um, a discourse on Twitter about David Roddy, and there are a lot of people that are I'll go ahead, severely dissatisfied with what they have seen from David Roddy, and I, I'm not one of those people. There are definitely some things that are rough for him right now, but he's doing all the right things defensively. It just looks to me like the game has not slowed down for him on the offensive end. It feels like things are still moving a little bit too fast for him on the offensive end of the floor, even though he's making the right plays on the defensive end of the floor. Where are you at with it? I would agree. I mean, he's not going to develop as fast as LaRavia, but he was never supposed to. LaRavia, they drafted him first. They projected him to be the guy who they could insert into the, you know, into the rotation sooner. I think you just got to show some patience with these rookies. I mean, this is 10, 11 games now in, and to just say Roddy is trash, Roddy is unplayable, Roddy is useless. I've seen a lot of that. And I, I think it's unfair. Has he looked great? 
No, I don't I don't think he's looked great, but I think he's had some games where he has looked pretty good. So it's not even like you haven't seen flashes from him. You you know, when that shot's going down, he looks good. I think he does look he's 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 up and down defensively. He's had some good moments and he's had some bad moments, but so has LaRavia. And so has every rookie who's playing right now. And I I actually can see it with him. I can see his it, I can see him sort of his flashes of what he can be. Yes, he needs to learn how to finish through contact, but he's in a whole different game. And he was always going to be a unique case because of his size. And, you know, is he a three? Is he a four? He's going to be going up against big men. That's always going to be an adjustment for him. Sure, you'd love to see him get some of those easy bunnies a little bit more. Um, You'd love for his three shot to be more consistent. But you can see the the framework of what he is and what he develops, I think is there. I've seen enough flashes from him. Uh, and it's just funny how these narratives change because in the off season, just 11 games ago, it was the opposite. It was LaRavia is trash and LaRavia can, you know, isn't anything. And so that that's all the more thought to me where both of these guys will eventually, I think, develop into really good role players. And, you just got to go through the process for Roddy. These minutes are important for him. I don't think he's killing them enough where, you know, he can't get those minutes. If they're going to play Xavier Tillman, give the minutes to Roddy. I mean, that's my, like, <laughs> that was, there. You, you get the same. Like, I'd rather have the upside of what David Roddy can bring over anything that I've seen from Tillman as of late. And I know they've been playing him out of necessity, but nevertheless, um, that's just where I stand. I think these people have got to be a little bit more patient, a little bit more understanding. He's going to look rough. Sometimes he's going to look okay, but he's a good defender. Um, and some, can I just say this about his defense? Sometimes I've seen him close, have a great closeout, and somebody just made a crazy like shot. Like yeah. sometimes when people are saying he's getting cooked on defense, it's not even just because he's had a poor defensive effort. Sometimes his rotations are terrible. But I, I've seen him improve a little bit with that. But when some of those closeouts are sometimes, sometimes great, like textbook, and they just make this crazy shot, that's going to happen, and it happens all the time. Not not just for David Roddy, but for any NBA player. It's the NBA. The guys are good, and you know, like you said, I think it'll help too when the game does slow down for him a little bit. I do think he could benefit from a little bit of time in the hustle, but the team needs him right now. I don't know if he'll get those minutes. He'll just kind of have to learn on the fly. But I think by the end of this season, you'll see what the front office saw. You'll see the flashes more consistently. That's my thinking. All right, I want to rotate to Ja Moran here, and we can kind of bounce back and forth between the two games. You go back to the Wizards game. Ja is 9 of 27 for Mm -hmm. 23 points. He had four turnovers, six assists, nine rebounds. Terrible. Boston game, 10 for 24, knocks down five threes, nine rebounds, four turnovers. Oh, I'm sorry, eight rebounds, nine assists, four turnovers. So it it seems to be – oh, man, I really – man, forget it. I'm I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off. Like, I don't want to be – Nobody's above criticism. And there there's something that I'm seeing Ja do on a regular basis 
that's burning me up. He no. is he's an elite ball handler. He can get to spots getting downhill. But I think sometimes he goes too far. Yeah. And they, the defense will drop on him because they don't want to get him. They don't want him to get to the rim. Yep. They'll drop on him and he'll get in that like seven to 10 foot range and he'll have space and he just keeps going into more defenders. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes he finishes that because he's just a freak. Like he defies gravity and he's able to spin or, you know, bring the ball up, take it back down, go around the other guys land and make a sandwich and have a picnic with their family. And then he decides to lay it in, but I, I've seen him get himself in trouble and it it happens frequently where he just drives it in too far and he goes up and he gets himself in trouble because the team has two or three defenders around him and they can't jump and hang up there as long as he can. But with three defenders, they can jump at different times and truly contest a shot and make it rough on him. I would love it if when they're dropping and he gets in that seven to 10 foot range, when he has that space, if he can knock down that seven to 10 foot jumper. And I know analytically don't bark at me about that crap because elite players in this league for a long time have operated in that, you know, seven to 10, eight to 12 foot range and made a living off of those shots, and he can get there at will. Anytime that he has the ball in his hands, because of his ability to dribble, his ability to break down his defender, he can get to that that 8 to 12, 7 to 10-foot range and have space there, but he just keeps going at the rim. And I think, you know, he's wired, right? He's wired to go. That's what he does. He gets downhill. Am I freaking out too much about that? Or is that something that you're seeing from him too? No, it's definitely something I'm seeing. I think it was greatly improved in this Celtics game. That's what I mean by he did a better job of taking what the defense was giving him instead of trying to force things. I I do think that he was forcing shots. Part of that, I think, was a combination of him not feeling confident that he had the ability to shoot the floater because I think he noticed that he didn't really have the touch around the rim was pretty much trying to force his way to get to the rim as he thought that was the only way for him to be able to score. I think part of it was him. That's been more of an issue since he's come back from the flu. So I don't know, you know, if he, like I said, I think the confidence wasn't there because he wasn't even attempting threes. Like the night he attempted for, is he 12 three-point attempts? Like he hasn't attempted that. Like he, it's been quite some time. Like he had four against the, the Wizards, and I don't have a box score, but I know I saw a lot of games that were like, you know, one for three, or he only took like three or four three-pointers. I just don't feel like he felt like that shot was there. So that's part of it. Uh, the other part of it was sort of his teammates maybe struggling to shoot, and I think he just is sort of used to trying to go into job mode. I noticed it happened a lot more in the fourth quarters, which were which was unfortunate, and thankfully sometimes Desmond and Bang will be there to offset that, but I think he was just trying to almost do that. You know, they have that Jago get a bucket offense, right? Which is great sometimes, but more and more as they grow, they're learning 
that that has its limitations. And I think John needs to adjust to that along with Coach Jenkins and do a better job of facilitating offense sometimes instead of just Jago get a bucket against like five defenders in the paint. So, yes, I definitely agree. I'd like to see him knock down that mid-range shot. He did it a lot more in this game. I think he will think you will see that improve a little bit. I think he knows he's been sloppy with the turnovers because that has been an issue. It, it, the turnovers have a lot of times been him going too far in the paint, you know, not having a pass in lanes or just dribbling and losing his handle, which he's gotta get a lot like to see him just emphasize that a little bit more. Sometimes he to, sometimes sometimes to what actually irritates me a little bit more is I just feel like he's doing dribble moves just for like show and then he gets a turnover. Um, but anyway, that I digress, but I wouldn't freak out. It's too early to freak out about that. I, ja watches so much tape. He, and we were already seeing improvements with it in this game. I think he'll get better. And I think part of it is, you know, some of these teams have had a little bit more length than maybe he anticipated. Uh, like the wizards are pretty, like they, they got to, maybe the talent isn't there, but they got some of the, they got some of the length. Uh, yeah, yeah, you got so, so part of it, too. like it worked. Sure. Yeah, like it worked against the Rockets. It worked it really against the Knicks. Uh, it, it worked against some teams, but I think he's also got to consider his matchup more, whereas that's going to be effective sometimes. It's not going to be effective from every game, and you can't force the issue if it's not there. Um just part of the growth process, but I trust him to turn that around pretty quickly. If I, if I saw a few more games, like maybe I'd be worried, but I think he's already kind of self-correcting. Yeah, you know, and he, you just look over the course of a, of his career and you see that there's part of his game that he's focused on and, and th- the three-point shooting is a big thing. Right now he's shooting 40, almost 48% from three, we're only 10 games, 11 games into the season. He was 48% before tonight's game. Yeah, that, that's going to drop a little bit after tonight's game. I think what's... Uh, well, after tonight's right. game? I pretty five well. Of, no, yeah, no, 5 of 12. That's not going to drop, right? Mm-hmm. Because 6 of 12 is 50. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to drop a little bit. Yeah, 5 of 12. I don't know. I don't... Look, yeah, I don't want to do math on the fly. My brain's not going to work like that. What's uh, what's the percentage 40, on that? Forty-one percent tonight. Um, let's see that, that, that. What what was this? What was this total before? Uh, Forty-eight. So he, it's going to drop a little bit. Not not a ton. I mean, five of twelve is not terrible, and that's you know above forty percent. We talked about it on the show before. If he gets to where he is averaging you know, 40%, you know, 37, even 37, 38% from three, he's going to be lethal. And you can just see the confidence late in the game. He was calling for the ball. He got it knocked down the three, you know, it's, it's coming. We, we, we see the things that he's working on. We're watching him kind of evolve as a player, the free throw percentage. He missed two free throws late. And I know like I, I harp on that a ton, but th- that is honestly, that still remains my biggest concern for this team because the issues that they were having early on in the season when it comes to defense and the question marks on that, you can attribute a lot of that to personnel and guys that are not going to be playing these roles whenever everybody is healthy. And so, you know, you move Jaron back into the lineup, you rotate these guys around 
a lot of those things on defense get corrected, but 64% from the free throw free throw line tonight. And then overall they're among the worst free throw shooting teams in the league. That's going to come back to haunt them. They, they have to do something to figure that out because when you get into the final two minutes of a playoff game, you're going to have to be able to knock down free throws. Ja always seems to have, like, he'll be having a bad game from the free throw line, and then it'll get clutch, and it's just like ice water. He, boom, it's it's wet every single time. But I'm still not at the point where I'm confident enough that, okay, I, I've watched him do that, and I've seen him do that over and over again, but then I watched the rest of this team consistently miss free throws, and it's like, Mm, is he really going to be able to turn that on even though he is shooting better? He's shooting a career high right now from the free throw line at 83%. So, you know, I I feel like that is definitely something that he has worked on in the off season. That's something, you know, that that maybe we don't see that he's working on, but that's an area that he knows he needs to be better. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying the free throws aren't an issue because they are. I think similar to the de- your your logic on why the defense will change, I think we'll see an uptick in free throw shooting as well. Uh, one, you got to give these guys some slack tonight. It, this is their third game in four nights. So just the fact that they played the way they played, free throw shooting is always going to be a tough area to to master. And I think tonight, Ja was more the culprit. He was five for nine. Everybody else, Dylan Brooks was one for two, and Desen three for three. Nobody else had free throws tonight. So I think tonight's more on Ja, and if it's more on him based off of the work I've seen him put in, I have, I have fair confidence he'll be able to bounce back from that because um, he also took a fair amount of free throws as well. He had nine attempts. So um, I expect that to dip back up. But one of the big factors – Steven Adams is getting more minutes. I know it's not just Steven Adams, it's other players too, but I think it makes a difference in terms of Steven Adams is normally not closing games. And so teams have strategically, right, put Steven Adams at the foul line more often than we've seen in the past because generally Jaron is though he's there on those closing minutes. That's going to give you a slight bump. I don't know if the rookies will get more free throw shooting opportunities or not. I think Des and Bain still been pretty consistent. Like we said, Santi's going to go back to the bench, so I'm not sure how relevant that's going to be. And Zaire is a pretty good free throw shooter when he gets in the mix. So I think while we while the team is like they're pretty bad at free throw shooting right now, I think there's a reasonable uptick that can be expected when guys are just playing in the right spots, if that makes sense. Um, you wouldn't think that, but guys are getting more minutes. They're getting more foul. They're getting chances to go to the free throw line more often. I just think that same logic applies on both sides. Yeah. I Maybe it's just the pessimist in me that, that's kind of thinking that, uh, that we don't see that improve. Like, I think that the two players that you're going to see at the line, the most are two of the players that you're going to see at the line, the most um, Desmond Bain and John ja Morant. Right. Like they're, I think they're both going to be. Desmond is obviously going to be a plus at the free throw line, and I think that the work that Ja has put in, you're going to see him eventually be a plus. And then you know, Stevo, 
teams are going to target him, but you also take him off of the floor later in the games because of that. Right. Then what becomes a question in my mind is, okay, Ja is able to operate. He is able, Ja Moran and Desmond Bain, the guys that handle the ball that get screens from Steven Adams, they're able to get more separation when Adams is on the floor. So what is that going to look like when he's not on the floor? Who is going to be able to step up to set those kind of screens? Or what are they going to do offensively to be able to get that separation like what they are when Steven Adams is on the floor? Are you talking about free throws or are you talking about? No, 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 not, not the free. Like, so like Ja and, and Desmond are going to shoot the free throws more. They're going to be at the line more than anybody else. Right. And then you have Steven Adams, but later in the game, when you take Steven Adams off of the floor because of the free throw concerns, mm. then where's that offensive separation going to come from? So I was kind of transitioning. I, I was tying the free throw issue into, okay, now what is the offense going to look like whenever you take your biggest, you know, Adams is no doubt the biggest sore thumb whenever it comes to the charity stripe. You know, he's the worst free throw shooter on the team. Mm -hmm. When you take him off of the floor because you don't want them just hacking him, what's that going to look like? How is the offense going to operate? I think it operates the same way you saw every game last year. I mean, you close in with Jaron and Brandon. Right. So that was a phenomenal offense. It was one of their best lineups all season. So I wouldn't worry about that um, with Jaron and, and BC because they play so well off of each other on offense and on defense. The versatility defensively and offensively that you get from those two. Um, yeah, BC can't set a screen. I have seen improvement. I will give slight improvement, at least in effort on that front. From from Brandon Clark, I don't know what we'll see from Jaron, what he'll look like in that regard, but um, I think that gives you enough where I'm not even sure you can. Sure, people are going to crowd John Morant, um, maybe even Dez, but then you're leaving Jaron wide open. That can kill you. Uh, Dylan probably, I'm sure, will be in that mix as well. So there's just that's not that's the, that's the least of my concerns. What that closing lineup looks like when Jaron and 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 Brandon are closing is, we've seen that and we've seen that work extremely well. Uh, and to, to boost, I think they've got extremely they they they're obviously better. They're one of the they're actually um I double checked this on cleaning the glass, but they're actually last time I looked the best three point shooting team um or maybe second best in the league. I'll double check that, but on cleaning the glass. But um, in terms of accuracy, so you got that boost that he, that wasn't there even just last season. So I'm pretty good. I think the free throws, you'll see that improve. I think the offense in general will improve, and certainly the defense will improve. So it's just a matter of getting healthy. I mean, like I said, even if they get Zaire back, I know Jaren's more like the comeback than Zaire, but even for this game, for example, Zaire, I think, makes a huge difference. Um, with the free throw shooting from pretty much every aspect you're talking about offense, defense, all around. Yeah. So NBA.com has them at uh, their seventh in the league in three point percentage right now. And then uh, a little bit further down there, 13th and three point three pointers made. So, I mean, they're, they're shooting right. the yeah, ball. Like, uh, yeah. Efficiency. Yeah, I'm going to shoot the yeah, glass yeah. on accuracy. 
on mm-hmm. all threes right now. I think they dropped down to number three. This must be updated because I looked at it earlier today. It was number two. Uh, they're Denver, Portland, and then Memphis gotcha, on all gotcha. threes. So they're shooting a great clip. I think that's helped their half-court offense. We just talk about so much, and everybody always did attribute that to just poor shooting. That's improved. So this this team's ceiling is extraordinarily high because of how well they're playing. And they're not even close to healthy. Like there's been, Jai's been out. Dez has been out. Dylan was out three games. I mean, there's been so many rotation pieces missing. And for them to still be locking down a lot of these wins, you would have loved to see them get the win tonight. But uh, cause it, because it was so close in the end, but ultimately they banked the Wizards game. They banked the Hornets game. Those are games they had to have. They're going to play the Spurs on Wednesday. They got to take care of business in that regard. But I think they'll be able to. I think they'll. I think they'll actually be able to surpass my expectations for what they'll look like without Jaron. The defense actually looks better now, like is a this week because <laughs> like, like last week's uh, offense was pretty much everything I feared. But it's it has progr- progressed. I think since the Trailblazers game, that's probably the one game I can look to and say this is improved defense. If they are playing at that level before Jaron gets back, they're I, I'm it's gonna be hard to beat this team. Yeah, and that is, you know, BC and the, the post game against the Wizards. Uh he was doing the uh the post game interview and he was talking about they're they're taking the right steps defensively. He's like, We're not where we wanna be. He mentioned Jaron coming back. And how that's going to make a huge impact on the defense. But he said that, that he feels like the team is moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. There's still work to do. And, you know, guys got to get into basketball shape. There's a lot of things that factor into that. But from game to game, if you've watched this team from game one through what they played tonight against one of the better offensive teams in the league, they were able to hold their own, not just shorthanded, but extremely shorthanded. And had an opportunity to win this game, the the clear path foul, uh, huge swing. Yeah, you know, like that. That's a four point swing right there, and that's that's the difference in the game. And that I'm not a like, oh, let, let's blame it on the rest type person. But you know, you, you go back, you watch it. They watch the replay. It is what it is. That's what they called it. You can argue about it all day long. You know, was he making a play on the ball? Was he really trying to? you know, impede them from getting a, f- a fast break. And it's hard, right? If if a player has a high basketball IQ, you can make it look like you're going for the ball, but you know dang well that if you go ahead and foul him, it's going to stop them from getting that fast break, or you know that you're going to be a half second late. You're not going to be able to get to the ball, so let's foul him so he can't just sling it down the floor. And you, you just got to call it how you see it on that. But that that was one – I hate when a play like that makes a, a, this much difference in a game. And I think, you know, they lost by three. That was a four-point swing. So you can point to a lot of things that could have went different for this team, yeah. um, and, including – we haven't really touched on, on Dylan a whole lot. We talked about him before we started recording. But let's talk about him here before we wrap it up. And – we can talk about uh, a number of different things whenever it comes to Dylan, but his defense tonight was huge. The one thing that I want to see from him 
And I feel like this is a realistic thing because the more efficient, better shot selection version of Dylan Brooks that we see periodically is fool's gold. I have, I love Dylan Brooks. I will always be a fan of Dylan Brooks and what he brings to this team. But I am past the point of believing that we're going to see a an efficient Dylan Brooks that does not take bad shots. I, I just don't think he can fix it. I, I don't think that that is going to go away. But the one thing that can go away, he done this tonight, and you and I talked about this before the show. He had the ball getting downhill. He already had, I think he had three, he had three fouls at this point. He gets downhill, gets to the rim. He misses the layup. He felt like he got fouled. And instead of being pissed and hustling back down the court and playing defense, he hacks Al Horford and he picks up foul number four and he ends up having to go off of the floor. You look at the other star, you look at uh, John Morant played 35, Desmond Bain played 35 minutes. Dylan Brooks, there's no doubt in my mind, if he didn't pick up this cheap foul right here, that he would have been closer to that 35, 36-minute mark. Yep. And he was a he was a plus 13 tonight. So if he is on the floor for those extra three or four minutes that he would have got, without picking up that stupid foul, maybe that's enough to erase this three-point deficit. Maybe he can test a three from Tatum enough. You know, that you could what if it to death, but the fact is he has to erase those, and that's something that has been like an Achilles for him. He fouls a lot playing defense because he's extremely physical. Other players know that he's physical, and he's guarding the best player on the other team, those guys are going to use it to their advantage to attempt to get him in foul trouble. What he cannot afford to do is make stupid plays like hacking out Al Horford when he didn't get a foul call. You you got to get away from that. You have to. And I think that that's something that he can get away from as to where he is always going to revert back to the poor shot selection, Dylan Brooks. That's his comfort level. That is ingrained in him. And for the longest time, I was hoping that you could see these coaches coach it out of him. But I'm at the point that I'm okay. I know that they're not going to coach it out of him. What he does for this team defensively, I can live with the games when he has poor shot selection because of what he does for this team on the other end of the floor. I'm not where you are with that. I'm I'm probably not where others are either in terms of, I, I do still, I agree. There is value. There's definite value in what Dylan Brooks brings. For me, I think I, I, I can't live with poor, poor shot selection Dylan as often as it's been seen. Now, if, if we can go a period of time seeing you know, that about three every two, three, four games, and then he defers back. I agree with you. His instinct is I said this at the end of the playoff series at last year. With Dylan, that's his instinct. So if Dylan's playing in instinctually, you're going to see poor shot selection. It takes 
a lot of intentionality and effort for Dylan to be something different. And he's shown he can do that. I think you saw a few games here in a row where he's been able to piece together playing off of Ja, Dez, Ties. And he he said as much in, in pressers where that was part of what his role was and he was looking to play off of Ja, Dez, and Tyus. He said as much, but that takes effort. His instinct is whenever he's just filling the game, he's going to defer to Kobe Bryant in his own mind. And if those, I, I don't think they're, I agree with you, they're not going to be able to coach it out, but I think it's important for those to become less and less frequent. Seriously, if he's going to stay on this team, it cannot be games like this, you know, two, three, four, five games in a row. Like that I think I think that the the more frequently he has those games, the quicker he ships himself out of Memphis. Yeah, and, and he may already be at that point anyway. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you look at the, the guys that have signed contract extension, he is one that has not. And so, you know, obviously as media members, there's going to be questions, you know, you're never, we're not going to know until we know, right? Like we can ask questions all day long. We're not going to know what's going to happen with Dylan Brooks until it happens. And I, there is, I don't think there's anybody out there that supports Dylan as much as I do. And, you know, like, okay, I'm not going to say I'm not his biggest fan. I'm sure that there's somebody that likes him more than I do, but I very rarely roll on him. Like I see a lot of members of, of Grizz media does it. There's a lot of members of Grizz Grizz media that, that do it. Uh, There's a lot of fans that I see doing it. And I, I just, I don't do that with him because I see what he can do defensively for this team. It's just the small stuff, just little small things that, that I know that he can fix. The the frustration, man, that that is a maturity thing. And he's been in the league, what, seven years, eight years? I don't even know. What, what's uh, a... Yeah, he came in 2017. That? So... Yeah, so this is this is season eight. Whoops, six, six, six. Yep, six. Know. Are you sure? Six. Um, I'm looking at his career stats. So seven. He's drafted. Six. Okay. Dude, why is my my? Yeah, it, it's Monday, man. I can't. My brain is not working. I should know how many. Yeah, it's according to. I'm not. I'm just on Google, so I didn't. I'm assuming these are all the years he's been active. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. So season number six for him. I thought it was seven or eight, but. Yeah, but you think anyway. so. No. <laughs> six seasons in, well, five full seasons in, and then, you know, the part of the sixth season, the frustration foul thing should not be there. It just, that, that is something. I I know that he is going to take poor shots. I know that's going to happen. And that's just something, okay, fine. He's going to do that. We'll learn to deal with it because he's a good defender. But the frustration fouls, I'm just, that's not something. I, I'm never going to be okay with that because that is, to me, that more than anything is just, just a maturity thing. And as a guy 
that is something you do as a youngster. You do that as a rookie in the league, as a second-year guy in the league. But when you're going to play as physical as he plays, you cannot afford to allow your emotions to get the best of you because your team needs you on the floor. And maybe it did, maybe it didn't cost him the game tonight, but I think that those few minutes that he had to set out because he picked up that extra foul, if he would have been on the floor, I think it could have definitely made a difference. I'd agree with you, but I I, I will point out this. The same place that his shot selection and everything else comes from is the same place that the frustration fouls come from. It's just that he's, it's his emotions. Yeah. So yeah, if you can't outcoach the poor shot selection or the I'm Kobe in my mind, emotions that come that are just his instincts, then I don't know how you'd expect him to overcome the other because they're connected to the same problem. And that's that he plays sometimes with too much emotion. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I I, I didn't think about it like that, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you could definitely tie that stuff together. Yeah, it's just it, it's just, it, it's kind of him because like I agree. Like if it was if it was as simple as that, I think he would you would not see it. But I think the reason why you haven't seen improvement in that area is the same reason why you haven't seen you've seen improvement, but consistent improvement. Yeah. You've seen effort. I'll say this: you you've seen effort with his his shot selection, but you haven't really seen consistent improvement. It's the same thing though. It's because that's his default emotion. And he can mm-hmm. logically know, I need to play within my role, but his emotions don't always allow for that. Hence, tunnel vision, Dylan. Yeah, and and we got to see that a few times tonight, and that's yeah, yeah. it is yeah. what it is. You know, come trade deadline, he may or may not be a grizzly. We don't have any sources saying that this front office is going to trade him. But the fact that we are, you know, into the season and he is the last one that is not extended, essentially, um, you, I, I at least feel like that is the way that they're leaning. So, again, the final score of the Celtics game tonight, 109-106. to 106, Grizzlies fall to 7-4. and four. That is still good. I think they're around the five seed. Let me pull it up real quick. That way I can give you guys accurate information here. I'm pretty sure they're fifth in the West. Sixth behind the Mavericks, just uh, percentage points-wise. The Mavericks are six and three. just third. Man, too much action yeah. going on the same night. Yeah, U- Utah is first. Phoenix, Portland, Denver are all tied at seven and three. And then Dallas is six and three. So... All right. Yep. So well, still in a good spot. That is outside of the play in. We're only 11 games into the season. You look at the teams that are in the top six right now, and one of them is not like the others. I don't believe for one second that uh, come the all star break, that Utah is going to be near the top of the West. Yeah, They've got a lot of good like, young talent on that team. But I I am not buying it. I think they're pretenders. I don't think they're contenders. So that is a team that I expect to see fall. And, and then I also expect a couple other teams to be playing better than what they are. Golden State's three and seven. I don't think they're going to finish in the bottom half of the league. And I think Sacramento at three and five is going to improve as the year goes along. So you're going to see them climbing up as well. But 
I think the Grizzlies are a good enough team that that's not going to matter what the teams behind them are doing, that they're going to be able to take care of business and be in the top, you know, three to four seeds in the West, maybe have a, uh, maybe host a uh, first round series. We'll see. Uh, Candice, you got anything else before we get out of here? No, um, just good. I think, I think overall, a lot of positivity to take away from the win uh, from, well, I say the season, I know they, they ultimately lost this past game, but I think, just you've seen some progress in areas that I think you needed to see progress and this team is going to get healthier. So there's a lot to be excited about going into this next portion of the season. So Taylor Jenkins said that he had hoped to have Jaron Jackson doing five V five stuff by the end of the homestand tonight. Tonight is the end of this homestand. There was no update saying that Jaron was doing five on five stuff. But with that kind of update earlier in this week, um, I would love to see Jaron coming back. I, I, my prediction was if he was back before Thanksgiving, that I think that they got a shot to win as many games as they did last year. And I think that he is on track to do that. We'll see how it goes with, you know, there can always be a setback when you go five on five playing contact and all of that. A lot of, lot of steps left to get him to the uh, the final destination of getting him on the floor. But it's good to hear that he has been doing three-on-three stuff and Jenkins hopes that he is going to do five-on-five stuff this week. But we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Isaac was not here with us tonight. He will be back soon. He's got some stuff that he's dealing with. We will hold it down until then. He is on Twitter at Isaac underscore underscore NBA. The show is at Ethos Grizzlies. I am at NBA Dwell Two One. Candace is going to let you know where you can find her, and we're going to get out of here. Yep, yep. You can find me on Twitter at Candace H Nine Hundred One. I really appreciate you guys giving us a listen. Always appreciate everybody's feedback. Uh, that's it. That's all we got for tonight. And we go. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.